This is the Stories from 1916 podcast. Using first-hand accounts and archive material, we tell the less well-known stories of ordinary men and women who did extraordinary things during Ireland's revolutionary period. Joe Gilfoyle was born in 1897 and grew up on Arran Quay on Dublin's north side. This was a working-class area with a strong nationalist base, and the Gilfoyle family were no different. These leanings rubbed off on Joe from a young age. In my time in school, say about 45 years ago, the political or national field was a very simple one. Either you were a home ruler and up for Ireland, or you were an anti-home ruler and up for England. I need hardly say that like the majority of buyers, I was an ardent home ruler. I well remember the shock I got when I read a newspaper poster outside a shop one day. Did Emmett die for home rule? What on earth did that mean? Should of course he died for home rule. Didn't Tone, Lord Edward Fitzgerald and all the men of 98 die for home rule? What a question. In great confusion of mind, I put the problem to my sister May, who was one of the early camogie players and a member of the Gaelic League. She explained patiently that home rule was like being allowed to run your own house, provided you ran it the way someone else wanted you to run it. The house being Ireland and the someone else being England. She told me that these patriots worked and died for freedom and that this home rule business was what we would now call phony. She gave me copies of Republican papers to read, probably copies of the paper Irish Freedom. Aaron Key was just a stone's throw away from Columkill Hall on Blackhall Place, where a number of companies of the Irish Volunteers met and drilled. Joe's older brother, Sean Gilfoyle, was the lieutenant of one of these companies. Joe immersed himself in the literature his sister gave him and resolved to join the Volunteers, aged just 16. I remember my first attempt to join the Irish Volunteers in 1913. It was quite common in those days to wear short trousers, or knickerbockers as we used to call them, at least up to 16 years of age. Unfortunately, I was so garbed and I was ejected ignominiously from the hall. However, I induced my poor mother to buy me a pair of longers and I was soon marching and drilling with the best of them. And wasn't I proud to be selected to carry a hoth rifle openly through the streets of Dublin in 1914 at the public funeral for the people shot by the British at Bachelor's Walk? Talk about a dog with two tails. It was a bit of a problem saving up the odd few pence for the arms fund, but somehow we managed. My ambition never got as far as a uniform, but a rifle, a bandolier, a haversack, a water bottle, they were simply a must, and by pinching and scraping they were got together. After three years of making the trip around the corner with his brother to Columkill Hall and drilling in the streets of Dublin, the two Gilfoyle boys got their chance to put into practice their training. My brother Sean and I went to confession on Easter Saturday night and sallied forth on Easter Monday saying goodbye to my mother and four sisters. He was a lieutenant in our company and an IRB man as I learned later. I was a very common foot slogger. Our battalion, the 3rd, occupied positions from Westland Road to Lansdowne Road including the famous Clan William House and Mount Street Bridge area. The situation there is much too big a subject for this short talk, but there were some numerous incidents which still tickle me. I remember an indignant Jarvie at Westland Row Station, 
protesting that these manoeuvres were too much of a good thing when he was being put out of the station. Just then firing broke out from the direction of O'Connell Street. On learning that this was the real thing, he jumped on the hack, whipped up his horse, and shaking his whip at us, he made a masterly understatement. By Garcia, see, I'm telling you, there'll be somebody pulled over this. Joe doesn't go into too much detail about his activities during Easter week, but we know from his pension records that he fought with De Valera's 3rd Battalion at Boland's Mill. I remember too the awful morning of the surrender. We were standing round in utter dejection when a volunteer with a beaming smile on his face approached us. Now this poor man was completely deaf, but a confirmed optimist. He shouted as he approached, Did you hear the news, lads? The British are surrendering to us. There was very nearly being another 1916 casualty. Aye, there were great days to be young in. The stir there was, and the hope there was, and maybe a little of the heartbreak too. Joe Gilfoyle went on to become a member of Michael Collins' intelligence staff during the War of Independence, and would occasionally be drafted into the squad, the feared assassination gang attached to the intelligence organisation of the IRA. Perhaps this explains why there is very little record of Joe's activities during this time. It is difficult to reconcile the softly spoken man we hear telling humorous anecdotes with a member of such a feared and ruthless group of men. This is what the Times brought out in Ordinary People though. He was a member of the delegation for the Anglo-Irish Treaty as a minder and remained close to Collins during the Civil War. Afterwards, he joined the Free State Army, eventually attaining the rank of Lieutenant Colonel in the Irish Army. For other, less well-known stories from this interesting period in Ireland's history, go to www.storiesfrom1916.com. I'm On Cody. Thanks for listening. <laughs>